Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2. If you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one and you're comfortable raising your hand, do that, and I'll have one of my friends bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. You can also take your smart device. You can open up the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app, and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. And we'll put the scriptures on the screens behind me just to make it as easy as possible. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, I love you. I'm so glad that you guys are a part of our family. A grandfather was walking through the woods with his grandson, leaves crunching under their feet, the smell of fall, it filled the air. The grandfather stopped under an oak tree, maybe a a hundred years old, looked up and he asked his grandson, how many acorns do you think are in this tree? Oh, I don't know, Grandpa, hundreds? The grandfather said, well, well, what about this whole forest? How many acorns do you think are in this whole forest? His grandson said, geez, man, I don't know, uh, a million? The grandfather reached down, he picked up a single acorn. He asked, what about in this acorn? How many acorns do you think are in this acorn. Hmm. It's a profound question. How many acorns are in an acorn? It falls from the tree into the soil, splits open, sprouts into a sapling, then grows into a full-grown tree that year after year for a hundred years will produce hundreds of acorns that will fall from the tree into the soil, split open, sprout into saplings, and grow into full-grown trees that year after year for a hundred years will produce hundreds of acorns. It's the principle of multiplication. I want to talk about that today in a message we're calling Take Strength in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made, and so we will rejoice, and we will be glad in it. God, thank you for my friends on this side of the screen and on the other side of the screen. God, I pray that your heart and mind would become ours, that our hearts and our minds would be molded, transformed, changed, into what it is you want them to be. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. The principle of multiplication. God not only uses it in nature, he uses it in humanity. From the very beginning, he told humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And it doesn't only work this way physically, he also works this way spiritually. It's how he's chosen to expand his kingdom. It's how he makes disciples. It's how he builds churches. As we look at our passage today, we're going to see some really practical principles for how God does that. And full disclosure, it's difficult. I don't know if you have picked up on the theme of this series. It's Second Timothy is a difficult book. It's a difficult letter. It's a challenging letter. It's a, it's a hard work. It's, it's a painful process. And so over the past four weeks, we've seen how the Apostle Paul, as he's preparing for the end of his life, he writes this letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he doesn't pull any punches. He comes right out of the gate in chapter one, and he gives him three charges. Fan into flame your gift of teaching and preaching. That's number one. Number two is don't be ashamed of Jesus. And then number three, protect Jesus' message 
at all costs. But all of that, the entire first chapter, was really just priming the pump. It really was just preparing Timothy for what Paul was telling him in this chapter. Paul's, Paul's trying to get Timothy ready to take this gospel, this good news, this message to new places, parts previously unknown, into hostile territory. He, he's telling him, Timothy, it's not enough for you just to protect it. We've got to unleash it. We've got to crack this thing wide open. I mean, imagine if the acorn had stayed sealed. We have to take our faith and we have to plant it. We have to sow it everywhere we go. We're supposed to see it multiplied. So Paul describes that in chapter two by using six metaphors. We're going to look at three of them today. A good soldier, a dedicated athlete, and a hardworking farmer. Let's look. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Jesus and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus. No one serving as a soldier goes and gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, no one who competes as an athlete receives the victor's crown if they don't compete according to the rules. The hardworking farmer, he should, he should be the first to receive his share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord. He'll give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is the gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word, it, it's not chained. So I endure everything that I endure for the sake of the chosen so that, so that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he's gonna disown us. And if we're faithless, he'll remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. Like that's meaty. That's like a, it's like a little four minute breeze through that carries a lot of weight. And I think Paul actually gives Timothy and us the main charge for the whole chapter right away in the first verse. He says to take strength in Jesus, to be, to be strong in the grace that's in Jesus. Remember last week I said that grace, sometimes, sometimes we get these uh, church words in our minds and we have a difficulty understanding what they really mean. We have, we have these euphemisms within the church. We have these sayings. We have these words, Christianese, if you would, that, that when you've been in this for a minute, when you live in a certain part of the country, there, there are certain pieces of that vernacular that you take for granted. There are certain ways that people say things, certain words that people use to describe things, and that when you come to that part new, you, you don't even know what that thing is. When I moved to Wisconsin, I saw signs talking about some booyah. Nobody know what booyah is. You know what booyah is? That's when you hit a home run and Stuart Scott, God rest his soul, you say booyah. You'd be like, soup? I didn't know nothing about some soup. And why are we putting booyah on the road? Who's buying soup out of people's cars? That's where you're supposed to buy cologne out of. You know that's not where you're supposed to buy soup out of. So we have these sayings. We have these things that when you've been in it for a minute, you understand that people who are new, they don't understand. And so last week I said to you, grace, that's one of the words that we think we know in the, the church world. And, and really what grace is, God's grace, is that he wants to save you. 
So what Paul's saying here is Timothy and us, take strength in that. Take strength in the fact that what God really wants to do, he's not trying to kill you. He's not trying to mess you up. He's not trying to trip you up or derail you. He's not trying to see you fail. It's not his goal to make life difficult for you. It's life's goal to make life difficult for you. And so Paul's saying what he really wants, his grace that you should take strength in is the fact that he wants to save you. And when he says this here, he says it in a really interesting way, some, a very unorthodox way. He, he's speaking, if you, if you remember uh, middle school English, he's speaking in an imperative. And an imperative is a command. So, so Paul is speaking a command, but he's doing something so unorthodox because he uses something that's called a passive imperative, meaning that it is a command to receive something. It's like me looking at you and saying, you will be blessed. You'd be like, dang, like I, how, how can we even be commanded to receive something? Have you ever tried to give somebody a gift and they try to act like they're, like they're humble? You'd be like, man, if we were alone, you'd have been taking this. Like, you're not, don't, don't, no, oh no, I could never. Yes, you could. You know you don't have enough money to split this meal. That's why you came with me. That's so, just, just take it and say, what can I, you're not going to Venmo me. It's, it's fine. Just, just, just receive it. And so, like Paul is saying, like, just, like, you will receive this thing because that is the mystery of the way that God works in building his kingdom. We step out in faith, challenge ourselves to grow. Then we take the gospel and we share it, which in and of ourselves we're incapable of and unqualified to do, which puts us in a position of need. It puts us in a place where we have to receive from him. We receive this command to share the gospel. And when we receive that, that creates a need in us for Jesus' strength. It's the order, the pattern to building his kingdom. We push ourselves, stretch ourselves to the point that we can't do it on our own and need Jesus to step in. But it's our act of stepping into our weakness that activates his intervention. He, he doesn't intervene until we step out. He, he doesn't step in. God's not going to mess with you. This book says he, the Holy Spirit that Pastor Sonny talked about, it, he is a gentleman. He, he's not going to get up in your grits unless you indicate that you want him to put sugar in the Kool-Aid. Like he's not going to mess with you unless you invite his messing into your life. And so when you step out, it activates something, if you would, in the spiritual realm. And, and Paul, who wrote these words, he was a living example of that. Almost immediately after his initial encounter with Jesus, he started telling everybody he could about it. The first Sabbath after his conversion, he stood in front of a synagogue full of Jewish people and he declared that Jesus was the Messiah. And that initial proclamation set in motion a lifetime of struggle. But the more he struggled, the more he succeeded. Because the more he struggled, the more he pushed away from his own strength and leaned into Jesus' strength. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Where did that power come from? The Holy Spirit 
who was now in him. Isn't it ironic that this message that we wrote months ago just happened to fall <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, the 50 day, Penta, 50, as Pastor Sonny said, it's, a, it's to celebrate 50 days after the Passover. And so, so Paul's saying, like, I get this power through the power of the Holy Spirit that is now in me. And if you're a Jesus person, it is the, the same Holy Spirit who's in you. And the result of his presence in your life is his power in your life. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Why? To be witnesses. Where? To the ends of the earth. And so Paul immediately recognized that power. He, he immediately submitted himself to it. He immediately tapped into it. And because he did that, he was able to tell people about Jesus in the toughest, most unwelcoming, most dangerous places in the world without fear. And so he said, we tell others about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom of God that he's given to us. We want to present them to God perfect. That word means mature. For some of you are like, see, I'm out. We, we want to present them to God mature in their relationship to Jesus. That's why I work. That's why I struggle so hard. That's why I depend on Jesus' mighty power that works in me. So what's he saying? Like, who's doing the work? Paul's acknowledging that he's the one doing the work, but he's only able to do the work because of the power that comes from the Holy Spirit and the strength that comes from Jesus. And I think that there is an effort. I think that there is a labor that comes with sharing Jesus that we're unfamiliar with in our generation. Sharing Jesus is hard. Have you ever shared Jesus with someone? Have you ever been an MLM? Have you ever been a, have you ever been in, kind of sounds like a pyramid scheme. Have you ever been in something like a, like a Amway, if you would? No offense. The Amway, I have many friends who've been emeralds, or I don't know what the top thing is. This, the emerald thing makes me think of the Wizard of Oz, by the way, which makes me feel like if you become the top guy in Amway, you basically are the Wizard of Oz. So it made me want to join. We're off to see the wizard, the wonder. And so you, like, you ever been around somebody who, uh, like they're really good? I got a friend, all he's ever done, he's, ne he, he's never had a normal job. All he's ever done is the MLM thing. So he's always recruiting me <laughs> for an opportunity of a lifetime. And I thought, how many, how many secret fruits are going to be found that will cure whatever it is that I'm going through right now? Have, have you ever met people who, who they are, they are the king of that? There, there's a difference between them and me. I have signed up for those things before and never told anybody, incidentally. And then I wonder why they are like the speaker in, you know, like Budapest, Hungary in front of 100,000 people in an arena because they are a, a, a centuplet diamond medallion something. And all I'm doing is paying 150 bucks a month, and he has 17,000 people in his downline, and I'm over here going, it's not even good soap. <laughs> it's hard to order. 
And I can never get them to take the credit card off my auto pay. It's ridiculous. But here's the difference between him and me is that he's bought in. He, no matter what it is, he, to him, he's not bait and switching people. To him, this legitimately is the opportunity of a lifetime. If you have pain in your joints, there is a fruit that was found in the Ecuadorian forest. No one had ever found it before. They, they'd walked through the forest. They have eaten it, actually, and they, they didn't realize that if you eat this, all, all, of, all of the pain in your joints will be, and your sisters, they will forever, if you eat this, it will be gone. And in your mind, you're like, this is the biggest load of hogwash I've ever heard in my life. But to him, hand to God, to him, he believes this with every fiber of his being. And so when God tells us that we're supposed to share this thing, some of us are like, mm, I don't know, my husband's still a, my sister, she, I, I did, you know, I told her about the Jesus thing and she's, uh, she's kind of a, she's worse than she wasn't. And if you give me a bottle of something that's from the Ecuadorian forest and you tell me that my life depends on the fact that I'm going to have to sell this to three people who are going to have to sell this to three people who are going to have to sell this to three people, I'm going to be the guy at Walmart collecting the carts in the grocery. It's just, uh, uh, no, thank you. It's too hard. I just, I don't want to go over people's house and be fake. Talk about something I don't believe in. But if you tell me to tell people about Jesus... 26 years ago, he changed, changed my life, did something in me. And I know people that it hasn't worked for them, but that ain't, that's not my fault. And that's not his fault. That's their fault. They didn't put in the work. They didn't put in the change. They didn't surrender. They did whatever it is that didn't happen in them, but it doesn't make it any easier for us to still talk about it. It doesn't make it any easier for us to look at people who are in our lives who have messed up tendencies in their life and be able to say to them, hey, why do you talk to people like that? Why, why is it that your attitude is like that? It is difficult. There is effort involved in this. It's, there's labor. And Paul said, I work, I struggle, I labor. How? With this energy. And he needed that energy because he was constantly being challenged, confronted, contradicted, which was draining. And so he needed to lean not on his own understanding. He needed to acknowledge Jesus in everything that he did so that Jesus would make his path straight. But because he didn't depend on his own strength or power, he was able to do all things through Christ who gave him strength. And he expected us to do the same thing. So he told his friends in Ephesus, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He told them to put on the full armor of God. If you're going to do this Jesus thing right, there is a strength that you need. There's a strength you need in your marriages and your friendships, in your finances and at your job. But how do you get that strength? There's a beautiful illustration in the book of Romans. God had made an unusual promise to say the least to father Abraham. He said, he said, I'm going to give you a son in your old age and Sarah, who's old, she's going to be the mother. And it is with that unusual promise in mind that Romans says without weakening his faith, 
Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. But watch this. But he didn't waver in unbelief regarding the promise of God. Instead, he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. How? By being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham's power came from the promise. And and ours does too. God has given us a promise that if we remain in him, he will remain in us. He promised us his presence. And that presence produces power to partner in the production of his promise in others. And it does that by us being witnesses, by us testifying, by us testifying with, with our mouths and with our actions, with the things that we do, with our, with our attitudes that are changed. And, and he gives us the power to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to the end of time. So feeling weak, wavering in your faith, lean on the fact that God has the power to do what he's promised. Be strong in the grace That's in Jesus. Be strong in the fact that he wants to save you. He wants to sustain you. He wants to see you succeed. And once you realize that, spread that strength to everyone that you know, because followers of Jesus are meant to multiply. And as Paul said, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those words to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, Paul's saying, Be fruitful and multiply, which is hard. It takes strength because as much as God wants you to succeed and multiply, Satan wants you to fail and shrink. But God is a God of growth. You're either growing or you're dying. And I think a lot of churches forget that. I think a lot of churches fail to consider how much work it takes to grow. Not just their attendants, but their attendees. I think a lot of believers fail to see how much work is involved in multiplication. There's a process, sometimes pain. That acorn had to leave the comfort of the tree, feel the weight of the soil, and feel the pain of the splitting. There is a pain in the planting process. And Paul talks about that by using three metaphors. The good soldier, the dedicated athlete, and the hardworking farmer. First, he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer, a good soldier. Uh, I don't think anyone has ever enlisted in the military looking for a life of comfort and ease. It's a life of service and sacrifice. And the first thing you do is go through basic training or boot camp so you can be trained. They get you ready by breaking you down than by building you back up as a unit. And Paul's saying following Jesus is no different. It requires discipline. It requires dedication, determination. And God's given us a structure, an organization to help us do that. And it's called the church. So he says, endure hardships with us. This is a team effort. Christianity is not a solo event. You are part of a, a group of people. And no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. I actually love the word that the translators of the updated New International Version used. They said, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled 
in civilian affairs. Imagine a sheep wandering off, going places that it shouldn't go and brushing up against a bush of thorns. What's going to happen to its wool? It's, it's going to get entangled. It's going to get stuck. In and of itself, that sheep will never be able to get away. Put that back into the context of a soldier, a, a soldier that leaves his post and is incapable or unwilling to come back. That soldier is called AWOL. A, a lot of Christians are like that today. They've gotten, they've gotten entangled. They've gotten off in the weeds. They've gone places that they shouldn't go and gotten caught up. We as believers get caught up in a lot of stuff, don't we? Develop opinions about a lot of stuff. Wring our hands about a lot of stuff. Placate and promote about a lot of stuff. And can I tell you to the people of the world, it is a turnoff. We're not trying to impress each other by how much we know or how much we're angry about. The goal is to get people who don't know or love Jesus to know or love Jesus. That's why I don't use this pulpit as a hammer telling everybody what's wrong with them. I think most people know what's wrong with them. My pastor actually told me one time he came to my youth service and it was amazing. We had a killer service. And uh, the next day in the breaker, I mean, I was preaching, y'all. I mean, preaching. I used to really preach. I used to sweat and spit and shout and kick stuff over. Man, I was telling them, tell them how ugly they were. I was talking about how bad of a kid they were and what their problem was and why their parents are so disappointed in them and what, you, what they need to fix in their life. And, you know, what, let, me, let me tell you your problem. Let me tell you what's wrong with you. Man, I shouted for 30 minutes, man. I mean, I really, I, I didn't stumble or stutter or nothing. Yeah, my pastor came into the break room the next day, and he sat down. He goes, he goes, you know, he had this such a soft demeanor. You know, wow, what a service. Wow, you're a great preacher. But, but if I could. I think you should stop telling them everything that's wrong with them. They already know. Tell them how to stop. I mean, is it easier to tell a man his face is dirty or point him to a mirror? Just be a good soldier. Stop being mad about everything. Stick to your orders. Paul then uses a second metaphor of a dedicated athlete. And as a guy who has the privilege of working alongside some of the greatest athletes in the world, can I tell you, you have no idea the level of sacrifice that takes. Think about an Olympic athlete. I mean, Olympic athletes are some of the biggest gamblers in the world. They sacrifice everything for one moment every four years. And if they get injured right before the games, they're out. All those hours seem wasted. I was actually this week thinking about Olympic race walkers, probably your favorite category in the Olympics. I don't know if you've ever watched that, but it's a 50K race walk. Doesn't it look funny? It's sponsored by Skechers. It's, it looks like the kind of, doesn't it look funny how they kind of like they, I wish I could do it, but I'm, no. I mean, it's like how they, they kind of like waddle like a duck or like a penguin. There's two things that remind me of penguins, race walkers, and nuns. And then so like they, it's kind of, you watch them and it's kind of funny. And it might look funny, but those cats ain't no joke. They can move. Those guys can walk faster than most of us can even run. He said, why would you even think about them? Because it has an interesting rule. 
According to the rules of Olympic race walking, you have to keep one foot on the ground at all times. You take both feet up off the ground, out. Runners, on the other hand, they don't have to keep either foot on the ground. And some of you are living your life like runners with no feet on the ground, when in truth as believers, you should be like speed walkers moving as efficiently as possible while still being grounded. This book is the thing that keeps us grounded. It gives us the rules, the parameters, the moral law. Paul says everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So to do this Jesus thing, you have to be holy, separate, different, the way an elite athlete is. And, and to do that, you have to sacrifice everything. Then he gives us a final metaphor that we're going to talk about today, that of a hardworking farmer. He says the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Uh, now, I read a lot. I read a lot of very weird, very... Uh, random things. Uh, I'm reading a book right now about near-death experiences by an atheist. It's very interesting. He was the head of faculty at the University of Michigan, and for 45 years, he's, before they knew what near-death experiences were, he's been studying near-death experiences. And can I tell you that some of the most spiritual things that you'll find in your life come from some of the most crazy, unorthodox sources? And so, so with my weird reading thing in mind, as I read this thing about the hardworking farmer, it made me actually think about Jamestown, Virginia. And I don't know if you know anything about it, uh, but English settlers landed there and they immediately planted crops. But while they were cultivating those crops, they noticed a dirt that they'd never seen before. It was like this orangish gold colored clay. And they thought that the color was caused by, ref by a reflection radiating from underneath. So they stopped cultivating their crops and started digging for gold in Jamestown, Virginia. But there wasn't any gold to be found. It was a big diversion. It was a distraction. And the more they dedicated themselves to the distraction, the more behind they got in their crops. So John Smith, you know, from Pocahontas, he called the whole colony together. And he said, guys, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to die. You're not going to survive. You have to work these fields. And Jesus said the same thing to us. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And the laborers are few because they've dedicated themselves to distractions, to the pursuit of things we have no business pursuing, boats and vacations and 401ks. We have dedicated our lives to pursuing the distraction of the pursuit of happiness, which has done nothing but create despair and desperation and depression. Have you ever seen somebody who's depending on their 401k get so sad when the market goes down? Or have you ever seen somebody who's still making a payment on a car and the car breaks down and it's out of warranty? You've put your faith in that thing. But God is calling us to give ourselves fully to working the fields that he has given us. And what field is that? Everyone he puts in your path. So we need to be like a good soldier, a dedicated athlete, and a hardworking farmer. What do those people all have in common? Total concentration to achieving a worthy goal. Pleasing a commanding officer. Gaining the victor's wreath getting his share of the crops. What's our purpose? Multiplication. Taking strength in Jesus. Our purpose is to remember that nothing that's worthwhile is ever easy. And quite frankly, nothing that's easy is really ever worthwhile. So our purpose is to have a total dedication to this Jesus thing, to be willing to suffer if need be, to fix 
our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned shame, so that he could sit down at the right hand of the Father. Biblically, the right hand is always the hand of power. So what he's saying is that we endure suffering, scorn, and shame in exchange for the power to fulfill our purpose. In exchange to be able to one day stand with Jesus, looking at the face of the Father, enjoying the glory that only comes through him. And like Paul said, you can chain me, but you can't chain this because this book cannot be chained. And the more you invest in this message, the more you're gonna see fruit in your life, the more you're gonna see victory, which Paul emphasized when he said, if we die with him, we also live with him. And, and he's not just talking about martyrdom. He's, he's talking about the same thing he was talking about in Galatians 2 when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I died. My old life, it's gone. I, I have a new life, and, and that life, I'm living for Jesus. Is that you? He said, everything I do is for him. And so guys, if, if we die, you and I, if we die, we too will live. If we endure, if we just keep at, I know times are tough. I know, I know that you've read about California and the mask is, oh my God, the mask is coming back. And if it's coming to California, who cares? Stop digging for gold when you're supposed to be planting wheat. Just do what God has called you to do. If you will die, you will live even in the toughest of times. We too, we will reign with him. But to do that, we have to take strength in Jesus. Have you done that today? I hope so. Because when we do that, the Bible says great is our reward. Will you close your eyes all across this place? You can't go all in with Jesus until you go in with Jesus. One of those great church euphemisms that we use is the word salvation. We assume that people understand what that means when they walk into a building. It's a fact of life that there are people in this room that need to be rescued. Rescued from their lifestyle, rescued from their thought patterns, rescued from bad relationships, rescued from hopelessness. So I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I've, I've got some despair in my life and I, I've never turn that over to a power higher than me. If you're here today and you say, Sean, I would like to take all of the things that are in my life that I've not been able to maintain or manage on my own, and I'd like to turn them over to a power that is bigger than me. That power, his name is Jesus. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I wonder if you need to be saved today. Here's, here's how you do that. The Bible says that you do two things. You confess and you profess. You confess that you're a sinner and you profess that Jesus can change that. So if you're here and you say, Sean, my life is off track and I need to dedicate myself to Jesus, we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that. Here's how, in just a moment, with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask for people to do two things. First is I'm gonna ask for people in just a moment to raise their hand 
and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down, and then I'm gonna ask everyone in this place to repeat a prayer after me. And if you repeat the prayer, and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. So with nobody looking around, if you say, Sean, I need to give my life to Jesus today, with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me? Thanks, 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 thank you, thanks, 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 thank you, thanks. Anybody missed? Okay, I'm going to ask everyone in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it anymore. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. With all your heads still bowed and all your eyes still closed, I wonder if you're hearing you say, like, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. But you're in here and you say, Sean, I need to take strength in Jesus. I wonder if life is running you over and you're worried about all of this stuff. And I'm not trying to make light of the things that you're suffering with because you're suffering with them. But if all of your worrying hasn't worked and you say, I need to trust in the Lord with all my heart, lean not on my own understanding, in all my ways acknowledge Him. If that's you, with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand so that I could pray for you? Yeah, jeez. God, in this culture filled with people who the devil is trying to confuse, let us trust in you. Let us lean on you. We love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.